week before we get into the new stuff tonight. Last week we were in 1 Corinthians, tonight 2 Corinthians. And so last week we started in 1 Corinthians, and there were five major problems going on in the church in Corinth. And Paul addresses those in the first epistle, that he, the first letter that he wrote to them. Some of the problems they were having, in case you forgot, the first thing was there was division. And the division that was going on, some said they were of Paul, some said they were of Apollos, all these different things, and there was division. And the Bible even says they were carnal. And division is not a good thing to have in a church. And so we've got to remember as we go forward and as we live for God and in the church, you've got to remember it's not about you and me, it's about Christ. It's not about your mentor or that person that's very special to you. It's all about our master. It's not about your favorite Christian personality. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. That's what matters. It's not about your preferred teacher or the style of teaching. It's about the teaching of God's word. Your faith in Christian, don't ever lose sight of this, cannot be built upon a person. No matter how good or how influential that person might have been in your life, do not place your faith or build your faith upon a man. It must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and him only. We see that there was division in the church in Corinth. The second problem they had was some behavioral problems, some deviant behavior, immorality. There was a man that was, having, that was committing adultery with his stepmother. And uh, they were tolerating it. They knew what was going on, and the church just did nothing about it. And we see that the Lord, and through Paul, he, wasn't, he didn't even go after and get after the guy for his sin. It was more that the church allowed this sin to be going on. And it's so important that, and you've got to understand something, that, and we'll see tonight, they go from one extreme to another. They go from where the sin, they just allowed it to happen to where they cast him out and then they didn't want anything to do with him when he was seeking forgiveness. We'll talk more about that tonight, but there were some behavior problems. There were some legal matters in chapter number six and Christians suing one another and problems in that area. And then we saw that there was uh, some doubtful disputations and some gray areas in Christianity where Christians can disagree and different things, some say you should eat meat, some say you don't, and where do you stand on all of that? And there are some gray areas. Everyone thinks everything's black and white, but everything is not black and white in Christianity, okay? And you have to give grace to others. Not everyone's going to think the same as you do. You and I both know that we think that we think better than anyone else, and we know better than everyone else, but that's not always the case. And just because you think something's better done this way doesn't mean that someone else is wrong for thinking it being better a different way. That comes into pride where our opinion matters more than someone else. And at the end of the day, it's all about unity. It's about our love for one another. It's about relationships. And if you can't get past your petty little differences, there's problems there. We also saw that there were some disorders in the church. It was the fourth problem the church of Corinth had. They, um, Paul gets after them for how they handled the Lord's Supper. It's almost like it was buffet style is what was going on. And they were just going, going to town, having these big old meals, and totally missing the point of what the Lord's Supper was all about. The, Paul gets after them for how they handled their spiritual gifts and their misuse of them in chapter number 12, and rebukes them for their handling of their place in the body. And you've got to understand, 
God puts a body together. This church is a local body that God puts together, and God puts the pieces here to accomplish His will and His work. And this is the problem. If we aren't functioning the way God wants us to, we're not able to do what He's called us to do. There's so much more I can say about that. We'll say that for another time. And then we see that there was some doctrinal instruction in chapter number 15. Some were departing from the resurrection. If it were not for the resurrection, we'd be men most miserable. The resurrection is so important to everything. And that was the gist of 1 Corinthians. A lot of problems in the early church there. And may I just remind you, the church is no different in 2020. There's a lot of problems still in churches today. Divisions come very easily. Um, Behavior, relationships, things of that nature. Sin is prevalent in church in 2020, just as it was in Corinth so many years ago. And so many of these things. And we look tonight at 2 Corinthians, and we see this is Paul's second letter. I titled 1 Corinthians, Corinth, we have a problem. And then 2 Corinthians, I would say, Corinth, you fixed some problems. You got a little bit better with some things, and we'll talk about that tonight. I mentioned the city of Corinth last week would be similar to Las Vegas today. It was a wicked city, immoral city, a wicked city. And, um, and, and in all honesty, you know, we, I'm not going to park here long, but a Christian, if, if your favorite city is Las Vegas and that lifestyle and all that stuff, you really need to get right with God. I'll just leave it there. I remember a couple of years ago, it was the, I went to a pastor's meeting. Yeah, a pa- I'm telling the truth, okay? I know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, but it was really a pastor's meeting, okay? And first time I've ever walked down the strip. And I didn't know this guy is standing there. Here, take a card, take a card. And if you know what I'm talking about, you're like, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, thank God you don't know what I'm talking about. We're ta- passing out little, they look like baseball cards, but they're pornography cards is what they are. And I had no clue. And it's amazing how many Christians love to go vacation in Vegas, and I just don't see the point. And uh, the things of this world should not be the things that attract a Christian. We'll just leave that there. And if you don't like that, you're not going to like much more of what I say tonight or what I say in the upcoming months and as we move forward with things. But it was a wicked city. Paul spent 18 months with them. And you could read in Acts chapter 18 the time that he spent in the city of Corinth, and he actually started the church in Corinth there. And um, I want you to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be reading a lot tonight as we go through. I want you to look with me down at verse number 2, and we're going to read through verse number 11 as we dive in tonight. Receiving us, we have wronged no man, we have corrupted no man, we have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before that ye are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech towards you, great is my glory of you. I am filled with comfort, I am exceedingly joyful in all our tribulation. For when we are come into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you. When he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent mind toward me, so that I rejoice the more. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle 
had made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. So in other words, Paul's like, I wrote you that letter, the first one, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm glad that your sorrow led to you getting things right, that you did it right. And look what it continues to say. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you, yea, what clear clearing of yourselves, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge, in all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. And Paul's like, I'm just, you did a good job in clearing things up. I brought you something and you dealt with it. And that's how it should be in the Christian life. Hey, there are going to be times that God brings things to you that you need to get fixed in your life. And I love how the church in Corinth, they were sorrowful, like, wow, look at what we did. And they got it right. And that's important for us today. And we'll talk more about that maybe later on tonight. But when you think about Paul and the church in Corinth, there's several things. He visited with them. He came back, he planted churches, he wrote them letters, and he was very involved. He corrected them. He has to send Titus to them. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And he had to send Titus, and then Titus came back to Paul and gave him an encouraging report. You know, for Paul, it would have been nice to have social media back in the day. He wouldn't have had to send Titus. He could have just sent an email, or he could have just gotten on Facebook to see how the church at Corinth was doing and all of that, but he had to send Titus to do all of those things. And when we look at this book, 2 Corinthians, out of all of Paul's letters that he wrote, his epistles, and how many of them are there? How many, Paul's, how many of Paul's epistles? 13, yes, and so that's good. And I mentioned last week that if you knew that, I had a prize, I've got chocolate up here. So after the service, if you need some chocolate tonight, you talk to me and I'll give you some chocolate and anybody need chocolate to keep you awake tonight? Anyone falling asleep? Yeah, a couple hands up. You just need to pay attention back there and run the screen back there. That'll keep you awake, Joe. And so, no coffee today? Joe was drinking coffee on Sunday. I'd never seen him drink coffee before. And so, it lasted one day or have you? <laughs> anyway, so you just need more of that, that red drink that you used to drink, that stuff. And so, but out of all of Paul's letters, Second Corinthians is the most spontaneous and the least systematic letter. He wrote it from Philippi, and he was around 50 years old when he wrote this at the end of his third missionary journey. Something I want you to see before we dive in and give you, I give you some thoughts about the book, I want you to go to chapter number five with me for a minute. The clearest declaration of the substitutionary death of Christ is given here in 2 Corinthians. Look at chapter number five. And look at verse number 14. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead. And that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to him by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You think about it this way. At the cross, God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated, so that he could treat us the way Jesus deserved to be treated. Think about that. That's what the gospel message is all about. And so the outline for the book of 2 Corinthians is very simple. Three quick points, and then we'll go on to some other thoughts. Number one, we see Paul's ministry. Chapter 1 through chapter 7, it just talks about Paul's ministry. And we'll talk more about that maybe here in just a minute. But the outline for the book is Paul's ministry. Number two would be giving. Chapter 8 and chapter 9. Chapter 8. In chapter 9, and then the book closes with Paul's defense from chapter 10 through chapter 13. Now, what had happened is there were false teachers who had infiltrated the church there in Corinth, and that what they did is they spread opposition against Paul, and because they said that he was unqualified to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. So they were casting doubt on the apostleship of Paul. And so Paul has to go through and Paul has to, what happens is, as those false teachers came in, those people, Paul, remember he wrote them the letter telling them the things they needed to fix and encouraging them? Well, it made it so that people, their confidence in Paul was kind of eroded because of what people were saying about Paul. So Paul had to send Titus as a representative and then he pinned his defense on why he should be accepted as an apostle. And that's the end of the book, chapter 10 through 13, go into that defense and talk about how an apostle is someone who was called by Jesus Christ. And Paul goes into those facts and lets them know these things. And he talks about his qualifications a whole lot in chapter 11 through chapter 12. And you really get to see a lot of personal things about Paul. Go with me to chapter number 11, and I'll read you just a little bit here. And then we'll go into a few subjects for tonight, and then we will be done. Chapter number 11 of 2 Corinthians, and look at verse number 22. While it says, are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors, more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in death often. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Now, a death blow is forty stripes. So one less is almost to death. Paul says five times that happened to him. Thrice I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck a night and a day. I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, 
in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things which are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. (laughs) Not only, okay, Christian, church member, you think you got it bad today? You think we got it bad? Look at what Paul says. I've been beaten five times, almost to death. Another three times I was beaten with rods. I was stoned, and not with drugs like some people do. We're thinking differently here tonight. Suffered shipwreck three times, not just once, not twice, three times. He's in peril everywhere. And then on top of all of that, he says, besides those things that are without, that which cometh unto me daily, the care of all the churches. And, you know, as a pastor, I can relate to that verse because as a pastor, I have the care of this church and the members of this church. Paul says churches, plural. So all those churches that he ministered to, the letters, the epistles he wrote, all those... He had quite the load. We look at us and, man, we're going through it. You're not, we're not going through it. Paul went through it. And Paul's like, I went through all these things, and we see him go through. And so the letter here that Paul writes, the second Corinthians, the second epistle, is a letter, a mixture of encouragement, challenge, and explains how Paul had the qualifications to be an apostle and all that he did. I want to take just a couple of minutes, and I want to break down and give you a few main points from the book tonight, and then we might watch the video, and we'll be done. If I get done enough time, we'll watch the video. Let me give you a few thoughts tonight that will help us. Number one is this, some things that Paul taught on was comfort for the Christians. Comfort for the Christians. Comfort for the Christian. What is some comfort for the Christian? Look at 2 Corinthians chapter number 1 and go up to verse number 3. We're going to look at verse 3 through verse number 7. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. Look at what verse 4 says. Who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same suffering which ye also suffer, Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the suffering, so shall ye also of the consolation. Verse number four is pretty interesting there. Who comforted us in all our tribulation. As we go through trials in life, he comforts us. But read what else it says that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. 
you realize all of the hardships we face in life have a greater purpose. You know, you might look and you might not understand, why, do, why did this have to be in my life? You know, we could go around the room and I can make several comments. You know, why does Russ for 35 years have to have the back issues that he's had? Why did Jay, as a youth pastor, have to experience and all that? Why did all that have to happen? But God has a purpose behind everything that takes place in our lives. And, and we don't always get it. We don't understand it. But the comfort that God gives us, we are able to help those going through it. You know, I have not lost my parents in this life yet. Someday it's going to happen. If you lose a parent and I come up to you and say, I know how you feel, you look at me and you're like, you don't know how I feel because you haven't lost a parent. But you injure your back or you have an injury and you have a guy like Russ say, I've been 35 years going through this. I know how you feel. This is how God helped me. He can help and comfort someone that I never could. Or Joyce could help someone, this is how I've lived for 35 years with having my husband going through all of this. How do you as a spouse make it through those things? You see how that will work? It's like Jay can reach out to someone who's going through depression and things and help them in ways, in his sermons, he can help people in ways that some people never can. But he wouldn't have been able to if those circumstances didn't come in his life. And that's not always easy for us to understand, but all of our hardships of life have a greater purpose than what you realize tonight. We go to chapter number 4 of 2 Corinthians. Look down at verse number 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in our body. And we go down to verse number 16, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perisheth, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. It's very powerful when you look at that. And all of our hardships serve a greater purpose than you even know or could realize. Tribulations, and when we're going through it and going through hardships also, allow us to experience God's comfort. God's comfort comes through the tough times that we go through. We just read those verses in chapter number one, who comforteth us, in all our tribulation. If you have no tribulation and life's perfect, you're never going to need the comfort of God. As we go through hard times, we experience His comfort. And we experience God's comfort so we can comfort others who are going through hard times. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes in, one, in, in, in Christianity, and we think about Paul here, Paul talks about all the things that he suffered, 
all the things he went through? How many people was he able to help because of all the things that he went through? He goes even further, and you look at chapter number 12. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And you got to think about this too. When we go through trials, when we have tribulations, they also, God uses those to draw us closer to God. And also to help draw us closer to others to help us. One of the things you got to understand and make sure that you don't take lightly, sometimes people, when they're going through it, they want to be left alone. That's one of the worst things. Isolation. You know, our governor today, his wife on Twitter, posted an article about how many teenagers are in distress and think about committing suicide because of lockdowns since March. She posts that today when they're going through more lockdowns again. It makes no sense to me. You don't have schools open. You don't have all these different things. But you got isolation is not good. And when you're going through it, you need the Lord, and you need people. You do. It's true. And sometimes we think, I'm better without people. I know there are times I feel that way too. We all feel that way at times. But tribulations draw us closer to God, and then God can use people in our lives as well. And then another thing, we look at 2 Corinthians 12 here, and Paul's talking about the things that he's gone through. Look at verse number 7, "...and lest I should be exalted above measure." Through the abundance of the revelation, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I sought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in mine infirmity, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in mine infirmities." in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Paul says, I rejoice. I take pleasure in my trials. So that God can work. Like the song that we like to sing that Ron Hamilton wrote when his, when his eye was taken with cancer, Oh, rejoice in the Lord, he makes no mistakes. We see comfort for the Christian, and whatever you're facing, God gives you comfort so you can turn around and comfort someone else. One thing we do in Christianity way too much, we want to receive comfort, but we're not very good at giving it. We're going to talk more about giving here in a minute. It's talked about a lot here in 2 Corinthians. But as a Christian, it's not all supposed to be poured into you and you hoard it to yourself. You're given so you can give to others. That's Christianity in a nutshell. We see number one, comfort for the Christian. Number two, balance in the church. Balance in the church. Go to chapter number two. Chapter number 2, in 1 Corinthians 5, last week we saw how Paul told the church they need to discipline a man because 
he was the sin that he was committing. He was committing a great sin. And then we see here in chapter number 2 of 2 Corinthians, look down at verse number 4. The Bible says, For out of much affliction and anguish I wrote unto you with many tears, not that ye should be grieved, but that ye might know the love which I have more abundantly unto you. You see how Paul was correcting them out of love? That's a key point too, and we could go even further. If, and as we go through our Christian life, and as we are there for one another, may sometimes a fellow brother or sister in Christ, we need to help them and maybe correct them a little bit. Don't ever do it in pride or out of, get, it's in love. Paul said, I came to you in love. And look at verse number five. But if any have caused grief, he hath not grieved me, but in part that I may not overcharge you all. Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. So that contrary wise, you ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such an one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that you would confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether ye be obedient in all things. To whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. What Paul's saying is, they kick the guy out. Church discipline him. The guy's coming and sorry for what he did, and now they won't receive him back. And Paul says, so you go from allowing sin to be in the church to not forgiving the guy and letting him come back. Balance. Balance. You and I, the Victory Baptist Church, needs to be a church of balance. Why? Because Satan can use sin to divide the church. But guess what? He can also use a bad spirit towards those that sin to divide the church. Both the sinner and the attitude of the offended are Satan's devices he uses to divide a church. And Paul says, we're not ignorant. We're not stupid to what Satan's trying to do. You see, tonight, the Christian life, and Ryan and I, in our many talks that we've had over the past several years, the one thing I've tried in the past couple of years, the thing I'm striving for more and more in my Christian life than ever, is to be balanced. Christians are not very good at being balanced. Christians are either hard-nosed and rigid, or they're too loving. You're either law or you're grace, and there's no middle ground. You're either to the letter of the law or you're all about grace, and the law just doesn't matter. But what was Jesus? He was grace and truth, both. Jesus was that balanced, and the Christian life is a balancing act, constantly correcting and adjusting in our walk with God. We can get complacent, get overbearing. We can become too tolerant of sin, and we can also become too judgmental, all within days of one another. We got to find balance. 
constantly adjusting and moving. You got to think about this, and I put that in your notes there. Unrighteousness is dangerous to a church. So is unforgiveness. There's a balancing act with it all. Finding the balance between tenderheartedness and tough truth is essential in the church. That's what Paul's trying to teach them here. We see there's comfort for the Christian. We see there's balance in the church. Number three, holiness in our lives. Holiness in our lives. Paul kept reminding them to do right, to be right in their stand and in their spirit. You go to chapter number six. You look at verse number 14. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father unto you. Ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And that was taken, those last three verses there, for 16 to 18 from the Old Testament. Holiness is important in the life of a believer. And I don't care what this world says or what this world does in 2020, holiness is still important. And we need to live for God the things that we do. And then we see, number four and lastly tonight, giving of ourselves. Giving of ourselves. I want to read to you a little bit of chapter number eight, and then we'll be done here in just a little bit. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Verse number two, how in that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. For to their power, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Insomuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun, and so would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. For if there be, a, be first a willing mind, 
It is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. For I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened, but by equality, that now at this time your abundance may be supplied for their want, and their abundance also may be supplied for your want, that there may be equity. As it is written, he that gathereth much had nothing over, and he that hath gathered little had no lack. And we read, but thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. We go down to chapter number 9. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for us, for me, to write to you. For I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia and Achaia, was Ray a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked many, very many. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest your boasting of you should be in vain in your behalf, that as I said, ye may be ready. Lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that we say not ye should be ashamed in the same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye hath noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetous. But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, nor of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. We see giving. We look back at chapter number 8 and we see some things about giving. We see it starts out by giving of ourselves. We read that there, and giving is for everyone. doesn't matter if you're rich. doesn't matter if you're poor. Everyone should be giving to the Lord. Everyone. And I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but in a few weeks, I'm probably going to preach a message on tithing in a few weeks. You say, why are you going to do that? Because there are a lot of people in church that don't. There are some that have been in church for a long time that know the importance of giving to God, and they do. And then there are some that don't realize the importance of it. And you're missing out on the blessings of God by not giving. And that's the truth. And you can like it or not, but you're missing out. And God loves a cheerful giver. We read through these things here, and we see that giving should be, look at verse number 2 of chapter 8, how that in great trial of affliction and abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. It didn't matter if they had a lot or little, they gave to God. They did. That's what it says. And we see that we give of ourselves to God first. And this is, it, it makes it a little bit easier. Do you realize when you give yourself to God, it makes it easier to give God your wallet? It's easier to give God this when He already owns you and you've given yourself to Him. 
because everything that I have is his. And we could go deeper into all that, but we'll save that for another time. And giving is rewarded. And there are so many, so many people, and if I had time, I'd go through this even greater tonight. And I'll do that sometime soon, I will. But I hear Christians say, well, pastor, tithing is an Old Testament principle. And I agree, I do not find the word tithe in the New Testament. I have not found it once. But if you want to be honest, I believe 2 Corinthians 8 and chapter 9, you can read them both, you read through them, and you read it for yourself. I believe that if you don't believe that tithing is something for a New Testament Christian to do, there is what is called grace giving, which goes above and beyond even what a tithe would be. And if you can't even give God anything, there's something wrong. God should have the rightful place in your heart and in your life. And we'll talk more about that another time. But think about it this way. You, it, it, it encompasses every area of life. There are givers and there are takers. What are you? I'll be very careful. Well, I'll, I don't know if I'm going to be very careful how I word this. There'll be some, some Christians believe that welfare is a good thing and some Christians that believe welfare isn't. My thinking is if you can work, then you should work. If a man doesn't work, neither should he eat. That's a Bible principle, okay? I know that there are many that can't work. Maybe they have a disability or they have problems, and I'm fine helping them, and we should help them. But if you're able to work, you should work. But... The, we would look around, and some people would have a problem if someone was living off of our government when they were fine to do everything themselves. But we can come to church and receive all the benefits and all the blessings of being involved in a church, and all you do is take, and you don't give nothing of yourself. Church is not about you taking and taking and taking and taking. Church is about you giving. Christianity is about you giving. That's what helping out on Saturday is about. That's what helping out in December is about. We have a lot of Christians that are all about themselves. There's got to come a point where that changes. In Israel, there are two bodies of water that I want to just mention tonight as I close. And they are both fed by the same source. And you think about this. You have the source that feeds both of them, the Jordan River. You have the Sea of Galilee, and you have the Dead Sea. They're both fed from the same source. The Sea of Galilee is lush, green, beautiful. Children play around it. There's trees. There's life everywhere around the Sea of Galilee. A few hours south, you get to the Dead Sea, which is barren. It's dry. There's nothing growing in it or around it. I guess people will go down there and they like the mud and put it on their face or they can float because of all the salt or whatever in the, in the water there. But it's very interesting. Why is the Sea of Galilee so nice and the Dead Sea dead? Are you ready? The Sea of Galilee has... An inlet and an outlet. 
The Dead Sea hoards everything. There's an inlet to the Dead Sea, but there's no outlet other than evaporation. And, that, and you think about that because it's dead. It doesn't give anything. Think about this. I think it's a very classic sign of how a Christian should be. Are you like the Sea of Galilee tonight? Or are you like the Dead Sea? God gives to you and gives to you and gives to you. And do you give it back out? That's the Sea of Galilee. Or does God give to you and give to you and bless you and you just hoard it for yourself? It's what it comes down to. There are two types of Christians. You're like the Sea of Galilee or you're like the Dead Sea. You're given to. Do you give to others? You're comforted by God in your trials. Do you comfort someone else with their trials? No, I, I can't help anybody else. You're just like the Dead Sea. You're keeping it all to yourself. God blesses you financially. Do you give or do you keep it to yourself? Are you a Dead Sea Christian or are you a Sea of Galilee Christian? Think on that one just a little bit. A Christian receives from God and gives out. That's how it should be. Are you receiving and keeping? Or are you ministering and giving? Isn't that what Jesus did with his life? He came to minister. He received of God and he gave. And I'm not just talking about money. It could be your time. There's so many different areas. But the, pro and the problem we have in Christianity today is we're so wrapped up in ourselves. And something that's happened too just recently. Oh, I'm, wow, I went over time, didn't I? You're okay. Just hang on for a minute. You'd just be stuck at home anyways right now. So you can last a few more minutes here. COVID has done some good things on getting people to realize the importance of maybe spending more time with family and things. But COVID's also done something to where we become very selfish and self-centered and not reaching out to others. Don't let your life be all about you. There's balance, though. You do need to take care of your family and have time with them. Don't lose that. But the balance is you also got to give to others too. There's a balance. It's a balancing act. And we just look and we study the scriptures, just what type of Christian do we want to be? We want to get even more technical. The Sea of Galilee is up more towards Jerusalem in that area. The Dead Sea is where Sodom and Gomorrah was. This world is all about getting getting, getting, and keeping to self, whereas a Christian is all about God giving us and us giving to others. There's a great correlation there. Maybe I'll talk more about that some other time.